Hi everyone, uh, before we start this episode, I wanted to jump in real quick and give a couple updates on the current state of the trumpet and Elephant Room Productions as a whole. Uh, first things first, as far as the trumpet goes, as I said in the description of the last episode, um, I want to apologize for the delay and the kind of uh, lack of consistency in episode posting. Um, I have been dealing with a little bit of a difficult work and record balance lately uh, that I'm finally getting back on track. I have some great interviews already recorded needing to be edited. I've got some great conversations coming up. Uh, so there will be more trumpet coming this summer, and I'm very grateful for everyone who listens to it. As for Elephant Room Productions and the Elephant Ears Reading Series, uh, we will be taking the summer off from reading new plays. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, there are some very, very exciting major life events happening within the company. Uh, so we as a whole just decided to take a couple months to take a pause from our plays, and we will be resuming the Elephant Ears Reading Series at the end of the summer into the fall. Uh, however... I still have access to my microphone, so I will still be having those trumpet episodes coming out throughout the year. The next thing I wanted to say before we start the episode, for those of you who have listened to the trumpet before, uh, I have decided to change up the format a little bit just to test this out, see how it goes. Uh, normally, for those of you who consistently listen, you know that my interviews are consisted of a playwright's background, a scene from the play and then a discussion about that play. Um, I thought it would be interesting to mix it up and kind of get listeners more in the mindset of the discussion by leading with the scene. Uh, so for the next few episodes, uh, just to try it out, we are going to be introducing the play, playing the scene from the episode, and then having an uninterrupted conversation with the playwright. Um, so I hope that works out, and I hope you all enjoy it. Without further ado... Please enjoy this month's episode of The Trumpet, featuring our returning playwright, Emily McLean. Hello, and welcome to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. As always, I am your host, Robert Jean Paleccio. We are very excited this month to welcome back Emily McLean. Uh, as I'm going to say in the episode when we talk, Emily is probably one of our most frequent return guests. Uh, talking with her is always a pleasure. We've talked to her about her plays. We've talked to her in discussion episodes. She's even provided some uh, scripts for us for some theater games. Uh, so she is a very, very good friend and a very good uh, ally to Elephant Room Productions. And I'm always glad to talk to her. Um, as I said in the intro, we are going to be mixing up the format for the next few episodes just to see how it works, just to keep everybody on their toes. Uh, so we're actually going to lead with an introduction onto her current play, play you the scene so that you can get in the headspace of what we're going to talk about. And then you can enjoy the conversation with Emily McLean uninterrupted. So without further ado, here is the description of Emily McLean's latest submission to the Elephant Ears reading series, The Rock and the Hard Place. Alan Tully was convicted of the murder of Janice Beck in 1996 
and has been on death row for 23 years, during which time he has maintained his innocence. His daughter Elsie receives a letter from the man who claims to have committed the crime, and she attempts to use the information to exonerate her father. The insurmountable challenge of exonerating a wrongly convicted person drives her to the desperate position of threatening a man she believes could help free her father, with disastrous results. The scene we'll be listening to involves Elsie receiving support from her friend Russell, but his understanding of the strain she's under is limited. Without further ado, please enjoy this scene from The Rock and the Hard Place, and then enjoy my interview with Emily McLean. Scene 2. Lights up on the front porch stoop of Elsie's apartment. Russell Wyatt enters, carrying two to-go coffee cups. He stops at the front of the steps, sets the coffee down, and sends a text from his phone. He waits, looking up, presumably at an unseen apartment window. In a moment, his phone pings. He grins and sits down on the steps. Elsie enters from the building, looking disheveled. You said you brought coffee? I'm a man of my word. Your personal coffee, cleric. Thank you. Literal lights lifesaver. We missed you at D&D last night. Not gonna lie, I was kind of worried when I didn't hear back from you until close to midnight. Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. I wasn't feeling great. It is cool. Molly put your character in a trance, so she just followed us around, but didn't do anything the whole time. Ian's dwarf built a nice little car for you to ride around in, too. And <laughs> yeah, of, of course. I didn't answer my phone or anything. I had a lot on my mind. Do you want to talk about it? or uh, Not really. All right. Hey, did you hear Ian's podcast got sponsored? No, that's cool. Yeah, he's shilling for some mattress company now. Ironic, since he sleeps on a futon. Maybe they sent him a free one. What's this podcast called? Is this the anime thing? Nah, he stopped that one. This one's true crime and murder. You know, the good stuff. I love the true crime ones. I mean, the more grisly and unsolved, the better. I guess. My favorite murder undisclosed, root of evil, and now our own Ian Sewell's death and aftermath. It's pretty impressive to break into such a saturated market. Yeah. What's your favorite? I don't really listen to true... I don't listen to crime pod podcasts. Wait, for real? I thought we were all into it. it nah, not really my scene. Wow. I mean, I'm surprised you and Molly can stay friends. She's like a mega murder head serial killers are like her kevin bacon game i just i don't understand the appeal oh come on there's something just so freaky fascinating about getting into the mind of a killer like hearing about how ted bundy would pretend to be hurt so women would feel sorry for him and help him or, or jerome brutus who made paperweights out of his victim's breasts i really just don't find that kind of thing entertaining that's all have you even listened to Ian's? No. Well, it's really good. Can I take you to brunch? I'm not really hungry. Okay. I just think it's kind of weird and gross, actually. What? Brunch? N no, 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 no. The, 
the whole true crime podcast thing. Like, people making a career out of exploiting these horrific stories. I mean, I think it's done to honor their life. Not... Get real. They want people to... Figure out stuff the police missed. When? Name one time that has happened in real life. I don't know. I've, I've heard that before, though. I bet that never happens. Yeah, I'll Google it later and see. Fine. Why don't you go do that? Elsie stands to go back inside. Hey, um, I, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I upset you. You don't like true crime podcasts. Got it. Noted for the future. It doesn't have to ruin the whole morning. What's the appeal? You don't get enough stress and sadness in the reg in your regular life. Let's listen to the story about the worst moment in some stranger's life. And then let's get brunch and talk about it over mimosas and egg benedict. Huh. I guess I could see that actually. Eggs benedict sounds pretty good too. Russ. I'm kidding. I hear you. Are you sure you're okay? No. You can tell me. I'm your druid, remember? I had a really bad day yesterday. And I, I went to see my dad. Oh yeah? Does he live here in town? No, he's um up in McRae. Wow, that's the boonies. What's he do out there? He's um an inmate at Telfair. Wait, for real? Yes, for real. Why would I joke about something like that? Well, I'm wow. I'm sorry. I, I had no idea. And I generally don't talk about it, but he's um, he's been there for most of my life since I was four. Damn. It's heavy. What do you? No, never mind. That's rude to ask. He was accused of murdering a woman that he worked for, or he worked with, but he didn't do it. Holy shit, really? Yeah. You never mentioned your dad before. I didn't know that. It's not something I lead with, and people can say some pretty messed up things about it without meaning to sometimes, but still. Shit, Elsie. All that murder podcast stuff. No, I didn't mean- No, 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 it's cool. It's okay. Is there any chance he'll be released? Or okay, what's, it, what's it called? A, a pardon? I don't think so. No. Man. I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. You don't have to say anything. It's really... I mean, that's why I, I don't tell people. No one ever knows what to say. can't wrap my mind around the idea of um i mean how often do you go out to see him uh he gets a scheduled visit with a family with family once a month do you go by yourself well i mean i do now my mom would have to take me before i was old enough to sign myself in but she didn't go into the visitation room very often they weren't did she think your dad was guilty what no Oh, sorry. It's not... Look, it's not that simple. 
a lot of shit happened to my mom when my dad was arrested and then convicted. Go So even though she doesn't think he's guilty, she had a hell of a time after. With the trial, she lost her job and we had to move and it was just a really bad time. And for about a decade, right? Until she met Dale and, and it better now, but she'll always be a little, I don't know, resentful about that. Yeah, I guess I could get that. And it's funny, my dad is just really understanding about her and w way more than I would be in his shoes, I think. It's probably easier to live in acceptance than to fight against something he isn't in a position to change anyway. Elsie pauses, staring at Russell with a confused look on her face. What do you mean? Why, um, well, I was just saying it's sort of about acceptance of your situation. It's like when all our main characters got overrun by that goblin horde in that campaign last year, and we had such a string of truly terrible roles and everyone died, and Molly was wanting to blame everyone and get all mad about it, but we just had to accept that it was over for those guys. Yep. Just like that. Okay, I didn't mean it was the same, but I don't know. Shit, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I feel like I'm just waiting to put my foot in my mouth. It's okay. It's a weird situation. It makes a lot of things you thought were important just seem really trivial by comparison. I'm really sorry that you're having to go through this alone, Elle. We've been friends for so long and I had no idea about any of this. Please, please do not say anything to Ian or Molly. Oh, no, of course not. I wouldn't. Last thing I want is for my dad to be the subject of Ian's stupid podcast. I mean, would that be the worst thing? What if he's able to help your dad? How is he going to help anyone? He's an opportunist. Maybe, but he might be able to get the word out. Maybe someone who knows something that could help. How many people listen to that stupid podcast in the first place? Enough to be sponsored. Uh, I guess a fair amount of people. I'll mention it to my dad's lawyer, see what she thinks. Do whatever you think is right. I'm not going to say anything to anyone. So, do you feel like getting something to eat? You know what? Yeah, yeah I do. Uh, let me grab the mail and stick it inside. I'll be ready to go. She pulls open the mailbox next to the stoop and gathers a pile of mail, mostly junk. A single official-looking letter is left in the box, and she hands the junk mail to Russell. What's this? Looks like a summons. They don't send summons through the mails, do through the mail, do they? Looks official though. The law offices of Baker, Hollingbrook, and Swain. What the hell? She opens the envelope, pulling out a handwritten letter on heavy formal stationery. Oh my god. Elsie sinks back onto the stoop and reads the letter. Russell sits back down beside her. Lights fade. And that was a scene from our uh, latest Emily McLean submission, The Rock and the Hard Place. Um, Emily requires not as much introduction as uh, 
some of our other guests because Emma, I think honestly, I was thinking about this today. You might be the most frequent guest on this podcast that's not like a core uh, ERP member. Oh. Honestly, you may you may even have some of them beat because I'm trying to think of how many we've had you on. You know, we had you on for your original play. Um, we're having you on this. We had you on a discussion episode. I feel like you've done. Have you done something else with us, trumpet wise? Yes, we. You did uh, some of the the. Uh, you used one of my plays for like one of the theater game episodes. That's what it was. It was so you you were tangentially uh, involved in that one. Yeah, um, I'm sort of a, a surprise guest, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but as always, um, it's amazing to have you. Um, how have you been? Um, I've been really good, actually. Um, I have, I'm working at a new school. So I'm at a um, magnet school oh, for the arts. Um, thank you. In, um, in Georgia. And it's been really exciting to start that program and to work. Um, it's right now, it's only sophomores and freshmen. So, you know, 14 and 15 year olds. Um, but we're going to be adding, you know, the subsequent grades as the years, as the years go on. But yeah, it's been really, really fun and, and challenging too, especially, you know, being back in person, but with all of the, you know, safety protocols and masks and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's just been really rewarding just to be back in the same space with students again. I'm going, I'm going through that uh, for like one of the first times now. Right. Uh, you know, I'm used to, uh, my partner and I have directed many, many years at a very specific theater. And this is our first year doing something in a middle school. And we are, you know, we of course decided to start very small and simple by doing Beauty and the Beast. Um, huh. so, <laughs> um, Your but, uh, small and simple must be different from mine. <laughs> um, no, I mean, in all reality, it, the, the big, the gestation of it was, um, the principal, uh, of this school, uh, really prides the, you know, himself with the theater department. It's a very, you know, professional level, uh, you know, history that they have. And the last time they did a show was, you know, the shows go up in the first week of March. Um, and the last time they did a show was March of 2020 because yeah. it was in that first week. Yep. So, you know, we, we were really looking to, you know, how do we make a big splash on, you know, the return of theater? So Absolutely. that's kind of why we went there. Um, and what you said uh, right before the interview, you said you're doing SpongeBob. Yes. Yeah. That's going to be our, our musical. Now it goes up in April. Um, I'm not directing it. I'm just, just, I'm doing the costumes for it, but I just, I love the show and I'm so excited to get to work on it. And it's got such a beautiful message, you know, and I think everybody needs some joy right now yeah i mean it's, I, like i said for the interview it's like it's not ironically one of my favorite musicals it's, 100%. and it's it's the kind of thing where it's like you hear by all intents and purposes it shouldn't work as no. a show it should be a you know well it's, and, and actually we did it we did an episode um you know my partner and i and uh meg velasco mm -hmm. did an episode uh a million years ago where we talked about Broadway musicals with specific, you know, you know, kind of like movie or TV show source material. Sure. And we had a, you know, it was a really interesting discussion because we talked about um, how most of the most well-known musicals uh, of the day, you know, had they're, obviously they're based on books, they're based on old short mm -hmm. stories or, you know, old films and stuff. But, uh, you know, our point in doing that episode was to kind of say, window between 
the original, you know, item and the musical seems to be getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Right. And SpongeBob is one of those things where it was like, oh, SpongeBob SquarePants, the the Broadway musical. All right, this will bring in the tourists. And then <laughs> I fell in absolute love with the soundtrack. And if I could, if I could find a way to now is there there's not a junior version right it's or no, no, is, no. There a, is, is there is it is there like a theater like a school youth edition or is this no it's, it's just the regular version god bless you yeah do you, do you do middle school or high school high school okay that's why yeah. <laughs> um, um and i think one of the really fun things about spongebob is the music itself i mean because you've got it's just sort of this like grab bag of of composers and lyricists and all these different compilations and different oh, yeah. it's it's one of the reasons i say it's like on paper if you look it's at it mess. it shouldn't work yeah it should not gel <laughs> together at all it's you know even in like jukebox musicals most yeah. of the time jukebox musicals are all the same composer the same yeah. or the same genre something it's the fact that everybody put their hands in this and it still came out as wonderful okay. as it is um so yeah if anybody listening has not listened to the soundtrack uh it yes. is go. fantastic not being um, yeah, not being an elitist go enjoy have some yeah. fun <laughs> well also, so you know in addition to your high school work um you know obviously we don't need to do a full deep dive into your theater background people should hopefully know who you are by now but um just as a refresher um you're obviously a playwright yes. um believe you're an actress as well occasionally right. yeah when the bat yeah. signal goes up you you dabble. <laughs> I dabble. <laughs> you dabble um uh you know what are you know what are your other kind of theatrical you know nooks that you're able to fill um, your time with I really I really love the term I've started describing myself as a theater maker so because it's just like the multi-hyphenate business was just getting a little unwieldy so now I just I've sort of like tried to simplify it as like theater maker I I participate and collaborate with other artists and sometimes that's as a playwright sometimes as a director sometimes as a designer or divisor um so that's kind of where i've shifted um rather than sort of like trying to list everything that that i do and i really enjoy um working with i have a in addition to like my teaching and stuff i work with a group um called somebody's theater collective and um it's based out of atlanta but it's a lot of different a lot of different multi-hyphenate artists film, um, modeling, photography, um, music composing, all that kind of stuff. But they, we all work together on, on projects and things. Um, and it's been really fun to get to do that. And also just to get to play with grownups, because I'm sure you're, you, you're the same, you know, it's like when you do, you pour so much of yourself into students um, and yeah. so much of your creative energy is, is spent in that way. And it's wonderful and it's rewarding, but also just to nurture yourself as, as an artist oh, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. You, you have to have that like grown up play space. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, uh, it, it's something I really aspire to. I still would consider myself uh, an actor first, but mm -hmm. director has taken very much an equal footing in my life. Um, and I've always had an interest in it, but you know, it's it's definitely something that I have really grown to have an equal passion for. Mm. And, but yeah, my experience directing adults is very limited compared to uh, I, you know, I was trying to count it out. And I think I have at least seven, uh, you know, director credits under my belt. Uh, and that is just lead director. I've also music mm -hmm. directed and assistant sure. directed before as well. Um, 
and I have, you know, only a few, only one or two, um, you know, and never a full length play either. So um, mm. I still have a concept kicking around in my head for Into the Woods that I won't say on mic Ooh, because okay. I don't want anyone to take it, but it's yeah. a uh, 10 person <laughs> cast with very uh, minimal costumes and no set. So I am, it's the, it's the first time I've ever had a real, like, you know, as vision. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, it, it's a term lovingly coined by our artistic director. And I hope I don't embarrass her by saying this, but, uh, this goes back to our college days. There was one day she got the perfect idea for how to open a play. She was directing the pre-show, um, that was going to lead into the show and she called me. I lived right next door to her. She called me and said, Robert, you got to come over here. I just had a director gasm. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't know if she'd want me yeah. saying that on mic, but uh, it is a term that I very lovingly have kept in my head and never repeated in front of the students. But I, <laughs> I do toe the line a little bit with my language with the students. <laughs> sometimes it, sometimes it gives my partner an aneurysm, but my, my argument is if you can say it in a DreamWorks movie, I can say it in front of students because if it's okay with Shrek, it's okay with me. Yes. So I will. I will say. I will say. God damn it to one <laughs> student in particular several times in a, in a rehearsal. <laughs> um. So the uh, so like I said before, we chatted before. Um. You're obviously a huge important friend to uh, ERP and the podcast. Um. So can you give us a, a little bit of an update on uh, your, you know, what kind of led you to us in the first place um, sure. and where that has taken us? Um, I, yeah, I mean, it was, I guess, 2018, maybe? It, it was the before times. Yeah. I do remember that. So I had, I started writing plays in like uh, 2000. 15 or so and then was really getting pretty serious about it and um, I had a full-length play and I submitted it um, to uh, the reading series and um, y'all picked it and I was just over the moon um, about that and just to get to hear it out loud um, you know for that first time was so 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 special um, and really just really rewarding for me um, as a as a very you know sort of early emerging playwright. Um, and so that play Cheek by Jowl went on. Um, so I, I did just a crap ton of revisions after that, after that reading series. Um, and so I was able to then uh, submit it and it was um, picked up and has been um, performed both as a reading and as a, a fully staged production um, now twice. So that was, you know, I'm very grateful, obviously, um, to everybody uh, at Elephant Room. But just that, the gift that that is, you know, for a playwright to get to hear, to get to hear the play, and especially to get to hear it by people that aren't my friends that I've bullied into coming over to my house. Right? <laughs> right? I'm like, hey, come over, hang out, and I'll feed you. And also, we're going to read this because I need to hear it. I, I think we all, I mean, here's the thing, as theater professionals, I think we all have that, it, you know, one of my, one of my favorite companies to work with, um, that if they can avoid, actually one of my best friends, uh, too, who's a director, if they can avoid ha holding auditions, they will avoid it at all costs. They would much <laughs> rather pick up the phone and say, yeah. I like working with you. I already know that I like working with you. 
don't you come over? So there's, you know, the risk of that though, too, is people that know, that know my work or that they know they're familiar with like sort of the, the themes and the, a lot of the things that I explore in my writing. I don't want to, you know, overuse those, right. those types of things. And so it's always really beneficial to get, and, and to get like people who don't really know me personally. And so if God forbid, it's terrible they're going to tell me. And the, I mean, I, I would like to think that the people that I have in my circle would love me enough to be able to tell me if something was terrible. Um, but also I don't really trust them. So I need, I need outside people to tell me I'm terrible <laughs> or not. Whatever. <laughs> I don't think you're terrible. Oh, thank you. I think you're lovely. <laughs> um, so now that we've caught up a little bit, um, so we hit, we listened to at the beginning, uh, a scene from the, you know, the latest piece, which, um, we don't have too, too many repeat artists. Uh, so it's, it's always wonderful when, uh, someone likes us enough to come back around. Um, so can you tell us a little bit, it's going to be a little blurb in the description of this episode, but, um, can you tell us a little bit about the rock and the hard place? Um, and then we can jump into breaking that apart. Yeah. So um, I got into, um, in 2019, I read a book by Edwin Wong called Risk Theater, Modern Tragedy. And so he is a, um, a literary theorist and he has come up with kind of this new formula for uh, modern tragedy. And he has a playwriting competition every year um, that is encouraging people to like utilize this format and to to try to tell a story within this within this tragic framework. Um, and so the book is really awesome and very cool concept, um, but it really inspired me. And so I've written two what are called risk theater tragedies. Um, and so Rock in a Hard Place is one of those. So it follows this formula of um, a character who has a a huge uh, crisis uh, that they are trying to overcome and they have kind of a, a wager situation where they have to make a choice and the choice that they make is then what ultimately leads them to to tragedy and so in a rock and a hard place um, a couple of things that I'm exploring are obviously the the question of the these choices that we make and how they can have these massive impacts on our lives, these one single, you know, moments. And then also um, I'm really wanting to kind of work through my feelings about the death penalty in this country and about um, how difficult it is to exonerate the wrongfully convicted um, and and to hopefully shine a light on that process and on how complicated that is and um, hopefully nudge us as a society to eventually abolishing the death penalty, ultimately for everybody, um, but especially, particularly in Georgia, um, the way that it is implemented here is, is, I mean, Texas is I think worse, but Georgia and Florida are, yeah. So um, it's it's just it's a really bad institution. And that has always been kind of something that I felt really strongly about with this particular play. Um, it was based on a the, the seed of it was based on a, on a real event about a person who was absolutely 100 percent innocent. But the person who actually committed the crime had passed away and there wasn't any. Um, 
there wasn't any evidence that could be used to exonerate um, that, that could be legally, you know, uh, I guess, legally binding or whatever. Um, and so then that was kind of where the, the story came from. Um, I'm also really fascinated by the, the relationships that develop, the, the family that we, that we find um, rather than the family that we're necessarily born with. Um, and so one of the things that the play looks at is kind of this relationship between Elsie and Russell, um, who are very, very good friends, but that he becomes kind of almost a brother to her and he's trying to help her make a right choice. And then she ultimately ends up betraying him very deeply. Um, and then that is part of what sends her on that tragic trajectory. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Robert. I think you're muted. You're absolutely right. Let's, <laughs> let's take that again. Uh, so anybody watching the video is going to see this blur because I can't cut it out. <laughs> but so this is definitely a, you know, heavier subject uh, material. I, if I remember correctly, it's and it's been a few years since we read Cheek by Jowl, but uh, I remember there being a fair amount of quirky uh maybe uncomfortable at times but really honest you know hard-hitting like good jokes in it um and not to say that this was devoid of any humor or you know humanity but it definitely you know it definitely leaves you in a much lower place uh you know you, you kind of walk away from it feeling uh you know almost almost defeated for the main character um so and and I mean that uh, this was one of the ones that uh, I've talked about this on other episodes, but now that we are all remote and now that um, you know we're taking submissions from everywhere and recording them through Zoom, just due to our schedules and due to what actors were able to bring in, I'm unfortunately not able to be at every reading anymore. Um, so I'm very glad that I have to be here for this one because this was a really powerful, hard-hitting piece. Um, so how long, I, I mean, again, you mentioned that this was inspired by true events and that this is a very personal thing for you uh, to cover. How long uh, was the process from the original gestation of the idea and finally getting the story out and getting it on uh, print? So it it started as a as a 10 minute play that I wrote for um, a thing called the courtroom drama series, which is a thing they do here in Atlanta. It's part of the continuing education for lawyers. And so they have ethical dilemmas um, that they ask to be dramatized um, for these short little skits. And then they do the skits and then the panel of lawyers talk about like what were the ethical implications and the decisions that the characters made, yada, yada. So I wrote the scene where Elsie goes to Jeremy's office the first time with the letter, that was that little 10 minute play. And I wrote that in um, late 2019. And then of course, 2020. And um, for March of 2020, um, the Dramatist Guild did this thing called End of Play. You may be familiar with it or some listeners may be familiar with That's it. That's familiar. Um, and so it is this uh, sort of challenge that you're like, you're going to set these writing goals for yourself and, and within the month of whatever end of play is, it happened to be March that year, um, you're going to, to meet those goals. And so I set up a, a 
goal for myself that I wanted to expand that 10 minute play into a full length. And I was going to do it in the month of March. And I was really stressed about it because I was trying to put up Matilda at the time. And it was like, oh, this is just, there's so much going on. Um, and then, you know, now I'm at home. Um, and so it was for me, a really welcome thing to be able to focus my energy and attention on. And I did finish the, the first draft of the play during that month. And then Dramatist Guild, um, if you met your end of play goal, they set up a reading for you with, with actors very similar to what Elephant Room does where they're in Zoom and you just kind of come in and you hear it and you get their you know initial reactions and feedback, but they haven't done any prep. They haven't really read through it generally. Um, and so it was just that kind of like fresh, you know, to it. Um, and so I did that with, with Rock in a Hard Place. And um, that allowed me to, you know, those really valuable feedback notes and a lot, I made a lot of changes and then was able to have what I consider to be a much stronger draft by the end of that. And so that would have been in, mm, I guess I finished the second draft about June of 2020. Um, so, yeah. I feel like a lot of people were finishing, um, various drafts of things in the summer of 2020. <laughs> I yeah. feel like there was a lot of theater and uh, just art in general that came out of that year. I, actually, I think we talked about that mm -hmm. when the last time I had you on was the beginning of the summer of 2020 because, uh, you know, and I, I think we you brought that up that you were working on something because, you know, there was, you needed to work on something. I think yeah. we all, it was, uh, I think it was it was fun timing for basically all theater work because it, you know, the discussion we had last time we talked was all about the pros and cons and the merits of recording and streaming uh, theatrical performances mm -hmm. and just, you know, theater projects in general. And that, that was a subject that I had been wanting to talk about for a while. Right. And then this all just fell in our lap and suddenly theaters were faced with this, you know, opportunity of, well, we can either not do theater or we can find another way to get it out. A yeah. um, little bit of a tangent, a little bit off topic there from Rock in the Hard Place. Um, so how did you initially, I, I don't think I realized pre-interview that this was, um, uh, inspired by a real story. Um, I, if you put that in the notes, I think I may have missed that. Um, and that's on me, but, um, so how, you know, how did you first, um, you know, how recent was this event and how similar did the events play out? So this was an event that, uh, 2013, um, was the, was the date of the execution. And um, so like all of this other stuff happened, you know, 2011 and all of that leading up to it. Um, and it was very, very loosely based, um, but it was also just that this, this person was, was innocent and yeah. most everyone had accepted that, yes, they were innocent and they just chose not to, not to pursue it because it was complicated. Yeah. Um, and that's really unfortunate. So um, and it is, I think, just that particular topic is one that seems like with everything else that's going on in the world, I think that the idea that we shouldn't be in the business of killing people 
is I feel like a pretty straightforward thing that maybe we could all find some. It, it's it's on. something that is, it, you know, I, I guess I have my own, you know, I think everybody has their own mixed feelings on it, but it's, it sounds like a decent enough starting point to the conversation. Like it, it's, it's a concept that I think we can all at least reach a similar starting point on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously you have submitted a play to us before. Um, how did this experience um, differ from the previous uh, with Cheek by Jowl? Um, and was there anything about the new format and the uh, the new, you know, style that we're doing that, you know, helped you maybe a little more and is going to take this show to the next step? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the biggest change was that it was a video now yeah. instead of just the audio recording. Um, you know, so I think everybody's comfort level with, you know, at home technology and all of those types of things mm -hmm. has gotten better um, the longer that we've, you know, having to do it. Um, but for for Rock and a Hard Place, um, because it's a larger cast, it was really cool to get to see the actors and get to have the video along with their voice to, you know, see those those facial reactions and see all of those things play out. And those moments of humor that you're mentioning, which again, it's, you know, it, it is a tragedy. So there's not that many, but there are there are some funny moments and some moments of levity between the characters, especially between Elsie and Russell. Um, that I would actually, say that I, I personally, and I know Julianne really um, keyed into this, but we loved the Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> there were, uh, you know, there were a lot of very specific game night references where, you know, I, I'm not saying any other playwright, but you, you know, I don't think it would have, uh, I don't think it would have been unforgivable for a playwright to make up the name of a game or, you know, kind of just put in various game-like references but there were some hyper specific, <laughs> you know, class, you know, mid 2010s box board game uh, references in there that Julianne and I specifically really keyed into that we really yeah. appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I I cannot at all claim to be a Dungeons and Dragons person, but I am Dungeons and Dragons adjacent. Um, in, a lot, <laughs> a lot of my, in a lot of my relationships and friendships. And so I had a lot of, um, a lot of help with those, like, tell me about, cause I, I, I did, I need to shout out actually my friend, Daniel Prilliman and my friend Monica Cross, um, because I did literally ask them like, okay, tell me about what happens when a character, when somebody gets mad because somebody isn't there and it's time to play the game. <laughs> what can you do to their character so that y'all can keep playing and they don't get to, you know, mess anything up by not being there? Um, right. So, you know, those those types of things. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's part of that, like the fun of playwriting is the research. I know that that's kind of a weird thing to say. Maybe not the fun. Right. The, no, I mean, I know I know exactly what you're saying. What? Like the richness of it, right? Like I want to represent this world authentically and I want the characters to be able to care about what's happening so that the audience can care about what's happening. And to do right. that, I have to know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, well, what is the, I know, and by the way, just, just a cue back. Um, I also love that we're doing the video now. I think it, it you you're not the only person who's had that feedback, but it does, I think, make a huge difference too. You know, hearing the play aloud is as special as it can be in and of itself, but seeing it as well 
um is yep. you know just you know an unmatched uh little boost that we can do now for sure it's, um, it's a great gift so what is the next step for this play um, I have, uh, I have sent it out to, um, a couple of different theaters. Um, it was a semifinalist for the risk theater competition in 2021. Um, so that was cool. And, um, it's, you know, I'm waiting to hear back. I do think that it has, um, I mean, it's heavy, you know, and so I get that. And a lot of, a lot of places now are not necessarily looking for heavy. Um, and I totally understand that. I mean, that's why we're doing <laughs> You know, we don't, we didn't yeah. what it is. We're gonna, you know, so um that that I get, but I also think that the the message and the story um is valuable and relevant yeah. and resonates um with people. So, you know, I think finding the right the right theater home for it and the right director, um, because it could get it could get a little heavy handed maybe in in the wrong hands. So yeah, I, I'm very excited to see where it goes personally because I, you know, I've always been a fan of your writing. I've always been just a fan of you as a person because you're awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean this this was definitely this was definitely a play that felt when when I read it personally, um, it it really felt like a mostly if not fully cooked play. Um, I'm sure that there are, you know, I'm sure there are things that as the vision behind it. Uh, you're probably going to pick apart and, you know, tweak here and there. Um, but whatever step this play takes next, I'm really excited to see it. And I'm really glad that we, you know, have been able to continue our relationship on. And I am looking forward to inevitably the next time our paths <laughs> cross. I I really do appreciate y'all so much. And it truly was like getting to see it and and watch the reading and sort of like I could follow along the script. And I did. You're right. I didn't make any large scale changes not like I did with Sweet by Jowl but um with with this it was more about like those little line moments and rewording some things that maybe the actors kind of it, it didn't flow quite as easily for them and that kind of thing and that, that's really valuable um you know because you never know how it's going to sound coming out of somebody's mouth what based on what it looks like on the page right um, but no I, I appreciate that so much and I really like I really hope that it gets picked because I would really like to see it yeah. produced. I think it would be um, really fun to see. Oh, fun, maybe the wrong word, but like it would be really exciting to get to see it live. I was to, you know, to wrap up on it, just to say something from a technical side of it, I am really interested in seeing how it's staged because it's the kind of multi location show that I feel really lends itself to, uh, you know, smaller scale and kind of imagined settings um we've we've talked before about you know i've i've read plays not necessarily always in ears but i've definitely you know i've had people show me things and i've i've uh i mean i've even seen shows that had one too many locations and the director chose to really take us to every one of yes. those locations and it usually uh it usually results in the curtain closing and a five-minute scene change <laughs> and the curtain oh opening God. again. Death. Um, the death of the play happens in those five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, actually, I saw one recently that um, they had a really clever way of getting around it. And while, while it did lengthen the play and it did stretch it a little bit, 
it did break up the traditional, yeah. all right, we got to wait. It was uh, from one of my best friends was in a production of uh, One Man, Two Governors um, at, oh, um, <laughs> oh my God, where? I feel horrible that I actually can't remember the name of the theater that uh, she did it at because it's somewhere local to me, but uh, I'll put it in the show notes. There you but, go. You um, later. <laughs> but, you know, but One Man, Two Governors, and this, this is sort of a flaw with the play itself is, it's a farce that is every location is very hyper specific in mm -hmm. are you familiar with that one yes yeah i know yeah, I love it's, that a, it's really good and it was but yeah it's i will say i feel like i would have enjoyed it regardless but having seen servant of two masters definitely lets you appreciate things a little bit more yeah um but they had a like a live band um in oh, okay. uh you know that they they kind of did musical interstitial they they did musical interludes at the prelude and the intermission um and then in between the scenes and then in act two they would while something was going on they would have a couple of the actors come out and also perform some song with them uh yeah. and it was you know again like no, you know on the handle that yeah and it's like on the one end you know yes it's inevitably it did length in the play but if you're gonna if you need to make those changes and you need to have a full set i'd much rather mm -hmm. be engaged the whole time than just be stuck um awkwardly in the dark <laughs> yeah but that being said um your play does not really feel like that is going to be a problem with it because i feel like it's you know i you could do it in a black box you could do it in a full theater even if you do it in a full theater you I can't don't need remember. to if I put in the actual show notes or not, if I didn't, I need to, that like I, that it is my, it is my desire that it be very minimalist. Yeah. In, instead. Like we just need a suggestion of these locations, mm -hmm. not need a full. Absolutely. You know, and I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where you can definitely see, you know, the words and the characters are what are moving the story, not what's on stage. And yeah. that, that was actually something that a, um, uh, I had a professor who, uh, you know, God rest his soul, um, told us a story once about a the only time uh, he ever watched a movie while directing a show. He would always try to avoid watching the film, uh, you know, so that he didn't have any influence over what he was doing. But something about the show just wasn't working for him. And he happened to be, it was a fluke. Um, it was... He happened to be flipping channels and he saw the movie on, you know, on cable. <laughs> and he watched it. And there's, this, you know, there was a scene where the two characters are at a bar. Um, and there was all this commotion. Like there's all these people in the background. There are all these, uh, you know, people passing drinks, all this stuff, all this motion going on. And he said he just had this epitome or in that pit of me, he had this um, <laughs> epiphany. God damn it, I'm sorry. He had this epiphany. Oh my God. It's not about the props or the people or the set at all. And on Monday, he went in and took away every prop. And the entire show just became mostly, you know, very minimal, mostly imagined, you know, mimed yeah. props. And it worked. Whatever he needed to fix just got fixed by that one you know little thing so i i yeah. really think it's doable with this one and yeah. it's there's 
there i like i said i've read multi-location plays i've seen multi-location plays and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't this is the kind where i really feel like you if you as long as you lean into that imagine you know once you lean into it in the first scene the audience is with you for the rest of the ride i think I hope so. And I think that the minimalism will work well once once Elsie's grip on reality mm-hmm. starts to slip a little bit towards the end of the play and where things become a little more stylized and hyper theatrical. Um, it it will make it better if it's minimal. It all it almost makes me wonder, is there anything, you know, and again, I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna go into a production meeting right now, but <laughs> I almost wonder, is it the kind of play that would, you know, with theme in mind, would it benefit from maybe having more set dressing and more props in the earlier half of the play and slowly removing them mm. as, uh, you know, but of course, that's that's my dumb director brain, just not being able to look at a text on its own without thinking about how I would direct it. I mean, I think that, that the text is is there to to take it in that direction. Um, so yay! Hopefully, somebody, some brave, <laughs> will take it on. Well, please, 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 please keep me posted <laughs> on it. Um, and Emily, thank you again so so much for chat with me, and thanks for just always being your bubbly sunny self. Aww. You are sunshine incarnate. Hey, that's so kind. <laughs> I just I love y'all so much, and I love the work that you do, and I'm just I'm excited to be in the herd again. <laughs> and we are excited to have you. Um, all right. Well, thank you again so much, Emily. I'm super stoked that we got to talk again. And here's looking forward to the next time we get to do one of your plays. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. The Trumpet is hosted and edited by me, Robert Jean Pileccio. The views and opinions shared by the podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Elephant Room Productions. For more information on Elephant Room Productions or on the Elephant Ears reading series, please visit us at elephantroomproductions.com. Until next time, this is Robert Jean Pileccio, signing off.